Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That job got strained written all over it. was Blue Boy with Grave Fission. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria and also if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold dark wasteland don't be afraid to tell your friends about me or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh and a bit of a disclaimer since the gangs can be a bit feisty. Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 18. Unnatural Causes. Hope. Finally, I had found another mayor who I respected, and admired, and who respected, and maybe even admired me in return. One who was attracted to mares, and who I could believe was at least a little physically attracted to me. We weren't in love, we barely knew each other, but there was the possibility of love. There was, in a word, hope. The last sixteen hours had made for a very long day. As much as I would have loved to spend the next several hours with Amage, she realised straight away that I was in no shape for anything but sleep, so she had sent me off back to my suite, where Velvet Remedy had puttered and tisked over my wounds until I had fallen into a dreamless sleep out of sheer exhaustion. I woke up very late in the morning, hungry, and for more than just food. Velvet Remedy had already awoken and disappeared to the shops to get the best caps for everything Calamity had decided to swipe from the ruins of the Red Racer factory in the Ministry of Morale Hub. Most of what Velvet and I had scavenged was intended for our own use. Food and ammo, mostly, as well as the poison glands I cut out of the manticores. After what she had been through, I decided to allow the Sea Blue Pony to keep my poison dart gun. I had everything needed to create another one once we returned home. 
Calamity had seen to the purchase of a workstation, currently very disassembled, which he would install at Junction R7 when we arrived, which, thanks to the part needed to repair the Sky Bandit, shouldn't be more than a few days. I wasn't about to leave until I had the chance to spend... quality time with homage. Out of more than curiosity, I tuned my pitbuck to DJ Pwn3's station and listened to the music playing while I cleaned and groomed myself. Homage had already begun to integrate the new music into DJ Pwn3's playlists. That unusually upbeat song about mending friendships which Homage and I had danced to was playing while I cleaned my teeth and tried to work all the tangles out of my mane and tail. <laughs> DJ Pwn3's voice thundered across the airwaves as the song ended. Celestia and Luna bless us! We have new music! And with that new music comes some new news. Ready for this? Last night, our wasteland saviour... My telekinesis exploded, dropping everything I was floating. A kid from Stable 2 found and rescued the good folks of Gutterville. And what horror did she save them from, you ask? A psychotic ghoul scientist who was performing experiments with taint and who had bred himself a small army of manticores. That, folks, is what they mean by crushing two radroaches with one hoof. She not only saved the lives of over two dozen ponies, but she solved Manhattan's manticore problem too. I dropped my head into the sink, letting out a whimpering sigh. My reputation was totally out of control. I barely heard the door to the suite open as I anguished over what ponies would be thinking and expecting of me now. Part of me swore homage just liked making me squirm. Hell, you see the kid? Tell her to stop by and visit. Old DJ Pwn3 wants to give her a big kiss for that one. My head shot up, catching my horn painfully on the faucets. Ow! You do know there's more civilised ways to get a drink of water than slurping it out of the sink, right? Velvet Remedy's voice rang out from the other room. Wincing, I touched my horn, looking at myself in the mirror then turned to Velvet. She was pulling a small red wagon behind her, loaded with supplies and dresses. I stared at the rather fancy and elegant gowns. I thought we would want to look our best for DJ Pwn3. She stated simply. Crap. I'd forgotten about Velvet Remedy's impending audition. Don't worry. I know your size. I've wrapped you in bandages often enough that I ought to. I felt myself blushing. Velvet Remedy floated a pair of dresses, both simple yet graceful, towards me. They'll look perfect on you, trust me. The one on the right will really bring out your eyes. The one on the left will beautifully complement your mane and tail. Which one should I wear, then? Up to you. Or, if you want to be mysterious, both. Find an excuse to step out and change halfway through the evening. Velvet Remedy smiled brightly. Go on. Take them. A girl can never have too many dresses. I nodded, floating them to my bed with care, then jumped and gave Velvet Remedy a hug. Thank you! Oh, think nothing of it, dear. She whinnied kindly. Velvet Remedy was expecting to meet DJ Pwn3. I needed to talk with Homage and find out how she wanted to handle this. If Homage was willing to reveal herself to me trusting me with such a big secret, then it stood to reason she would be equally willing in regard to my friends. Part of me, however, didn't want her to. I wanted it to remain our little secret. Just Amarge and I. Something special between us. I wanted her not to want to trust any other pony, not even Velvet Remedy, with such a gift. It was a selfish thought. I knew I should be ashamed of myself for having it, but I consoled myself that this was Homage's secret to tell or keep, so the fact that I was keeping it from my friends was an act of virtue. On the way to the elevator, I passed a poster. Pinkie Pie, it insisted, was still watching me. Forever. On the opposite wall was a poster of Fluttershy, this time not modelling for Sparkle Cola, but an actual poster from her own ministry. War? Fear? Death? We must do better. Ministry of Peace. We must do better. We should do better. I should do better. I understood why Velvet Remedy loved that yellow Pegasus pony. 
If there had only been more like her, then the equestrian wasteland may never have been. I was still contemplating the poster when Homage stepped out of the elevator. Her face brightened as she spotted me. Ah, just the toaster repair pony I was looking for. I would never live that down. Homage, I breathed, feeling my heart flutter a bit as I fully drank in the fact that this pretty grey unicorn with the vibrant broomane actually had feelings for me. Possibly romantic feelings. Or at least she was willing to entertain the idea of them. That alone was more than I'd ever had from a mare before. And from a mare who I really liked. And who was cute, too. Yes? She said playfully, making me stammer. I, um, I, that is, we... When and how did you want to do the thing at the place? The thing at the place? I waved a hoof in a fluttered exasperation. You know, Velvet Remedy, DJ Pwn 3, recording her music. Oh, Amage grinned. That thing at that place. You trust her, right? The ponies of Tempony Tower know of me as DJ Pwn 3's errand girl, but I can't really let it get out that I'm a bit closer to him than that. She can keep a secret. Part of me hated sharing the truth about Amage but it would be wrong not to. Forever! You are DJ Pwn 3? Amage smiled, clearly enjoying Velvet Remedy's disbelief. Velvet Remedy had made herself up gorgeously and donned one of her new dresses. A stunning purple number, all with the intention of making a breathtaking first impression. Now she was shooting me cross glances. I've got a whole recording studio in here so the recording will be as good as you are, Homage said, stepping between us as she spoke to Velvet. I found myself staring at Homage's flanks, covered with a silky silver dress that sparkled as it clung so tightly to... <sighs> Velvet was looking at me. She'd caught me staring, and the little smile on her face made my heart sink. I'd be lucky if the rest of our travels weren't a soundtrack to... Little Pippin Homage sitting in an apple tree. Homage gave Velvet Remedy a much-abbreviated tour, skipping the roof and the anthelium altogether, but showing off the small recording studio that exited off the MAS-EBS. Velvet looked like she was in heaven, no matter how much she protested, no matter how much she longed to be a medical pony. The only one Velvet could hope to convince that she didn't get unparalleled joy from singing was Velvet herself. As Velvet Remedy entered the studio chamber... Homage turned her attention to the recording equipment, waving her horn over a desk of switches and dials. Rows of colourful lights lit up in response. I was left to sit in a corner and watch the show. Velvet Remedy approached the microphone. Sound check? Do you hear me clearly? DJ, what should I call you? Homage, when we're together, the grey unicorn replied. I felt a completely irrational twinge of jealousy at the mention of them and together. I clocked my forehead. Such feelings were as unbecoming as they were ridiculous. Stop being a silly pony, little Pip! I whispered to myself under my breath. This is an amazing setup, homage, Velvet admired. Then, almost too casually, she asked, Would you happen to have a workbench anywhere around here? Homage looked up from the recording desk. Uh, Yes. Why? Oh, good. Little Pip has a project, and she needs a private workspace. Velvet Remedy claimed. Now I felt really stupid for having felt that involuntary twinge, even on the verge of giving a performance that would be heard equestria-wide. Velvet Remedy was thinking about helping me. I suspect the project will take her all night. Velvet purred conspiratorially. It's all right if she spends the night with you, isn't it? Solar-flaring orgasms of Celestia! Oh, I'd love the chance to... purred homage back. Entertain her for a night. I was doomed. Ready when you are. Velvet Remedy's horn began to glow. The recording chamber filled with colourful light and rich electric music. Homage was struck with awe. I smiled, knowing the impact of a Velvet Remedy performance. Music is my remedy. Four hours later, 
Omar and I strolled the Mall of Tempone Tower. Velvet Remedy had been amazing. At her insistence, Omar had let Velvet perform each song multiple times, making sure she had the best possible recording for each. Once her performance was completed, my charcoal-coated companion had been exhausted and had taken her leave of us to take a nap. Omar had been gushing about the performance and the new music since. Thankfully, I felt no repeat pangs of jealousy at this. I was, in fact, rather in awe myself. Omar and I spent over an hour just reliving the performance like a couple of fan fillies after a concert. The first song had been a stable two favourite. If I was to attribute her a theme song, it would have been that one. And the second also a popular one from her days in the stable. The third was her rendition of a song that she had once told me was originally performed by Pinkie Pie and the original DJ Pwn3 at Hoofbeats, something she had chosen especially for DJ Pwn3. It was a song she had started to sing at Shattered Hoof, and I was thrilled to finally hear it to completion. The effect on homage was thrilling. I loved seeing the little grey unicorn squee. The final number was the one I had heard Velvet Remedy constructing during our travels. The one she had once claimed was about me. I couldn't decide if I wanted to melt or hide. We had reached the edge of a mezzanine, staring down into the lower floor of the Tempony Tower Mall, filled with classy shops, including one just for wine, another across from it that had been just for cheese, but was now closed. As we approached the stairs down, I stopped at the site below. Steelhoofs was trotting about, peering into storefront windows and taking in displays of art, casual as you please. All around him, ponies were stopping and staring, some shying away. I saw a mother pull her curious filly behind her protectively. Your friend is causing quite a stir, Homage noted. I chuckled. I guess the high society of ten pony isn't used to seeing a pony in magical power armour. I wondered if his armoured hooves were scuffing their pretentiously polished marble floor. Well, he is a steel ranger. That gives most ponies pause. This was not the first time I had heard some pony I trusted suggest the steel rangers had less than a sterling reputation. Why is that? Amage looked at me with surprise. You're travelling with a steel ranger, she said slowly. And you don't know anything about them? I opened my muzzle to say that I knew they were... what? I knew them from the posters, but those were 200 years old. Truth was, I didn't know the Steel Rangers. I knew Steel Hooves. At least, more than my companions knew the enigmatic pony, completely concealed by magical armour. I'd seen a memory orb. One of a memory, I had assumed, with reason, was his. No, I suppose I really don't. Tell me. Homage guided us away from the stairs and towards a table at a small but expensive eatery. A waitress pony brought us menus the moment we sat down, managing to look horsey, as if her customers were beneath her. Looking at the menu, I once again discovered that everything was a fancified version of pre-war food. I shook my head, pushing the menu aside. Fifty bottle caps for a banana puree that I can find in the refrigerator of a ruined building for free? No thanks. Frying it into strips and weaving it to look like a basket isn't worth that much. Homage lifted an eyebrow. Try to remember that most ponies here wouldn't last a day on the outside. There are raiders, slavers, renegade security robots, and possibly even a stray manticore between them and that free food. She looked around at the other patrons, then leaned forward and whispered, Honestly, I don't think most of these ponies could handle rad roaches. They'd stomp one, then the other radroaches would kill them while they were trying to scrape the radroach gunk from their hooves in uncontrolled disgust. I looked around the elite mares and gentle stallions of Tenpony. She was probably right. The stockpiles from Tenpony Tower itself ran out generations ago. What they sell now has been acquired from scavenger ponies, specialists in plumbing the ruins of Manhattan for foodstuffs. Fortunately... There were food shops, restaurants and groceries galore in this city before the bomb. So scavenging has been as fruitful as it is dangerous. But scavenger ponies don't risk their necks for cheap. And with how irradiated all the water is, it's hard for a pony family to purify enough for a tiny garden. For a restaurant like this, 
fresh crops are out of the question. I considered that, then picked up the menu again. I ordered the fried banana puree basket and a bottle of wine. It was surprisingly full of flavour. The Steel Rangers, Homage explained over our glasses of wine, are the old guard of the Ministry of Wartime Technology. They see themselves as the knights of the greatness of the past, which they consider to be tied to Equestria's advancements in technology and industry, and custodians of the technology that their ministry helped create. Honestly, most of them would be more interested in saving your pit buck than saving you. After lunch, I treated homage to an early evening at the spa. The last time had been so utterly delightful that I had to share the experience with her. Homage had asked that the small radio in the spa be tuned to DJ Pwn 3's station. From the expression the spa ponies gave her, they didn't much approve of the ghoul-loving renegade, but were used to this request. With the new music playing, I suspected the broadcast's popularity was peaking. One of the pretty spa ponies was dabbing my face with cleansing and revitalising mud when the voice of DJ Pwn 3 blasted out of the little radio. Good evening, children! I looked to homage in surprise. She winked back before they covered her eyes with slices of cucumber. I've got a question for all you faithful listeners. Have any of you mares or bucks ever seen a ghost? Now, DJ Pwn 3, I hear you say... There's no such thing as ghosts. Being ghost stories about Manhattan ever since my grandmother's grandmother was a filly. And no pony's ever actually seen one. Ghost stories are all made up, you know. Well, now what have I, DJ Bone 3, your voice in the wasteland, were to tell you that I have seen a ghost. And I don't mean heroic stable dwellers who miraculously survive falling off cliffs and trains. Not this time. I groaned aloud. I would have clenched my eyes, but they were already being covered with vegetables. Now, it was several years ago, and I just got myself out of a tight spot with one of those manticores. So I was riding dash and stampede at the time, but she was there. Celestia's honest truth. Never seen her again, or found the exact spot I'd stumbled onto. But there are more crazy things in this wild wasteland than you'd believe. Later... As the spa ponies gave us a pony peddy and a horn treatment, I asked Homage, What's Stampede? Oh, a mixture of rage and painkillers. Homage answered, A friend and I found the recipe in the ruins of an MOP clinic when we were younger. My curiosity took hold. A friend? Will I get to meet her? No. I'm afraid my friend didn't survive the efforts to get us into Ten Pony Tower. I felt amazingly refreshed and relaxed. Our time in the spa had been pleasant and intimate, and I had high hopes for the rest of the evening. As we stepped out of the spa, Amage leaned close and whispered, I had that last bit pre-recorded. It's a good idea to be seen in public occasionally while DJ Pwn 3 is live on the radio. I nodded, staring at her just a little. The mud bath had been the first time I had seen her wearing neither a dress nor a spa robe. Her cutie mark looked like it could either be a speaker or a megaphone. Either way, it was perfectly appropriate to her, and I could see why she chose to keep it private through dressing finely. If anyone suspected she was more than just DJ Pwn 3's errand filly, the cutie mark was all but a dead giveaway. Three little ponies galloped up to us, two colts and a younger filly. The two youngest had tears in their eyes. The colt trying to hold his back while the filly was blinking hers away with a hopeful expression. I heard Homage moan at their approach. Miss Homage? The oldest called out as they drew close. DJ Pwn 3 says that Daddy tried to rob the heroine of the wasteland, and that's why he's in jail. Is it true? Did he really do that? Daddy wouldn't. Oh, fuck me with the moon. Sun, moon, both of them rape me hard. Homage looked, if anything, even less comfortable, but she stood by the truth. Yes, children, I'm afraid he did. But he's really sorry, I interjected, even though I knew the only thing Monterey Jack was actually sorry about was that it put him in a bad place. And I'm sure they'll let him go. I... I paused, 
wincing as I chose my words, speaking more slowly. I know the stable dweller is really upset to see him in jail. Will she save him? The filly blurted out with so much hope in her voice it nearly knocked me over. Where would she do that? Her eldest brother retorted. He threatened her and tried to rob her. I looked to homage hopelessly. They ain't gonna let him go, said the middle brother. They're gonna hang him in two days. I paced back and forth in the Anthonium as homage watched me sadly. You can't interfere. Oh, yes, I can. Homage gave a melancholy sigh. I understand why you feel you should, even if he did lay his own hay. But from what you said, it doesn't really sound like he wants to be helped. I snorted. Then I'm not going to leave it up to him. He has three children that need looking after. They need to come before his twisted-up code of honour. Little Pip, Homage whimpered. We've just met. I don't want to lose you already. I stopped, shocked. Lose me? In exasperation, Homage pointed out. If you do anything and survive the guards with their battle saddles, you and your friends will never be allowed to set hoof in Tenpony Tower again. I turned and looked into her eyes. They were glistening, ready to cry. I'll be with you, always, pretty much wherever you go. Just tune into DJ Pwn3 and I'll be there. But you won't be able to be here with me. I fell back on my haunches as the weight of what I would be sacrificing descended fully upon me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Night was falling as I walked slowly along the Celestia line. Velvet Remedy and Steel Hooves walked in line behind me. Calamity was flying scout. All I had told the others was that I was going for a walk. Every one of them insisted on coming with me. Only Velvet Remedy asked if there was a reason why, and she did so in private. She could tell I was distressed, and she was alarmed that I was not spending the evening with homage. Calamity, I think was looking for an excuse to stretch his wings. Steel Hooves simply fell in behind me, without comment. I felt he would go anywhere I did, and I still had no idea why. Truth was, as much as I wanted to spend the night with Homage, I was too messed up inside to enjoy it. I needed fresh air. I needed to clear my head. I needed a distraction. Fortunately, the Grey Unicorn had not only understood, but had encouraged me. Velvet Remedy's horn provided light. I didn't even need the one from my pit buck. The quiet of the night wrapped us like a blanket, punctured by the occasional distant screams or gunshots. Each time, Calamity swooped away to investigate. Sometimes, he came back with reports of scavengers fighting off wild animals. Most of the time, he returned no wiser than before. Once, his disappeared was followed by several little thundercracks. I knew the sound of his battle saddle by heart. I heard no return fire. But we all stopped and waited, and worried all the same. It took him a quarter of an hour to return, and when he did so, he was laden with sacks of pilfered goods. Raider nest. Bunch of earth pony raiders with spears and sledgehammers. He explained with a grin. No pony expects a pegasus. He landed and passed me a sack full of metal apples. They didn't have any ammo either. 
but they are these. Steelhoofs offered to take the grenades. Of the lot of us, he was the only one who actually had any skill with the things. One of these days, we gotta get you something that don't do splash damage. Calamity passed another sack. This one, clearly holding a square box with beveled edges inside, to Velvet Remedy. The medical kit they had was locked, so I just brung the whole thing. Brought. Velvet corrected as she took the sack. That's what I said. Velvet rolled her eyes to me before slinging the sack over her, clasping it to her saddlebag harness. There was no rush in opening it. I could pick the lock when we reached the next four-star station. Presents delivered. Calamity flew ahead again. The next four-star station was the site of a massacre. I watched steel hooves tread between the bodies of over 30 ghouls. Most of them looked like they had been mowed down by heavy minigun fire. Powerful explosions had torn holes in the walls of the station and the homes it had been built into and around it. The place was rank with the wet smell of ghoul corpses. The buzzing of flies was a constant drone that reminded me of the high whine of Stable 2's lights. Velvet Remedy had fled up the line about 300 yards, unable to stomach this. Calamity was looting the bodies. Rotting tails group. Steelhooves announced, long after I had come to the same realisation. He kept his deep voice natural. I wished I could see his expression behind the mask. Steelhooves? I asked cautiously. Are you alright? Why wouldn't I be? He asked, again keeping his voice natural. Too neutral. He was refraining from something. Whether it was laughing in joy or raging in offence, I couldn't guess. How about you? You're not indulging in the looting, I notice. As Calamity would say, it's not like these creatures are using anything here anymore. Might as well go to our use. To Steel Hooves, looting ghouls was okay, but looting Steel Rangers was not. I didn't like that. Although with consideration, I had to admit to myself that I would probably react considerably worse towards the looting of the bodies of stable dwellers. I'm going to burn them. I announced. As soon as Calamity is done scavenging, if you want, you should join him in that. Interesting. Steelhooves intoned, but remained with me. I found his reaction to my reaction as interesting as he apparently found my reaction to be. As morbid and repulsive as the setting was, I decided to attempt to fathom our new friend. I heard about the Steel Rangers. They don't exactly have a heroic reputation. Is that how you see yourself? He replied. You're a hero. I flinched, but quickly suspected he was deflecting. How about you? How do you see yourself? As a traditionalist. Okay, what the hell did that mean? I tried again. I'm told that most Steel Rangers are more interested in saving technology than saving ponies. How about you? Steelhooves was quiet. I pressed. Are you just following us around to keep my pit buck safe? Steelhoof snorted a laugh. Then, somberly, he revealed a little of himself. Steel Rangers, each and every one, swear the same oath. But there is some divergence of opinion as to whether our fealty is owed to the Mayor of the Ministry or to the Ministry itself. He spoke of the Ministry as if there was only one or, at least, only one of any importance. Are they that different? I asked, but Calamity returned before I could get an answer, and Steelhoofs was not willing to share with an audience. I think I got everything we might want. You have a strong back for a Pegasus. Steelhoofs ribbed. Are you sure you don't want to get the furniture as well? Calamity grunted, flapping his wings, ignoring the gibe of Steelhoofs' comment. I considered the underlying truth. Clavity, why don't you fly back and unload that stuff at the suite? You can catch up with us. We'll still be on the Celestia line. Clavity smiled, tipping back his hat. We'll do. And then he was off. I focused, the bodies of the ghouls wrapping in light one by one. I levitated them into a pile, then, walking out ahead on one of the monorails with steel hooves following on the other, I reached a safe distance. I turned, floating up the zebra rifle, 
and sent half a clip into the mound of ghoul cadavers. The pile began to burn. We reached Velvet Remedy, who was staring at the ghoulish pyre with strange fascination. I looked back, trying to figure out why the sight held her gaze so. A balefire phoenix was circling the bonfire of corpses. Repeating message. Again, this is Blackwing of Blackwing's Talons, sending out a distress call on every friendly frequency. Please send this message on to any talent companies in the area. My team and I are trapped on the roof of the horse show tower by enemy forces. We're low on ammo and cannot hold out much longer. Oh, oh no! Here come more of them! The radio message ended abruptly, then looped, repeating the words of the female griffin. She sounded younger than Gord, and not as hard. My pitbuck had started receiving the distress signal over a mile away from Horseshoe Tower. The signal was weak, but Horseshoe Tower had been one of the tallest buildings in all of Equestria, and was the largest skyscraper remaining in the Manhattan ruins, easily dwarfing Tenpony Tower by over double its height. To anyone receiving this message, this is Blackwing of Blackwing's Talons. Please, we need help. We're pinned on the roof of Horseshoe Tower by overwhelming enemy forces. We're low on ammo and food, and we've lost three of our team already. We're in desperate need of assistance. If anyone can hear this message, please bring help. Please hurry. We can't hold out much longer. This is a repeating message. Again, this is Blackwing. I removed my ear bloom and played the recording aloud as we got within a few blocks. I had hoped Calamity would catch up to us before we reached the Skyscraper's four-star station, but I wasn't willing to wait. Each loop of the message pressed upon me the mounting sense of urgency. "'We're going in!' I announced. Then, reconsidering my words, "'I'm going in. You two can stay behind if you want. I understand!' I swished my tail. "'Besides, some pony should let Calamity know where we are!' Steelhooves nickered. Personally, I look forward to the chance to meet these noble ghoul slayers. He looked at me. And are you going because? Are you being a heroine? You enjoy risking your life for strangers. Or is there something else about Horseshoe Tower? I glared at my companion, then smirked. Oh, I just want to know how a bunch of griffins could get trapped on the roof of a building. Steelhooves chuckled. I turned to Velvet Remedy. You are not going in alone, Velvet insisted with a grim smile and a stomp. And we can leave Calamity a note. She paused. He can read, can't he? I rolled my eyes. Yes, and you know it. Then considered the idea and found myself at a loss. I still had the clipboard and pencil that I'd taken from the Ten Pony Tower Constabulary, but a note left under a chunk of crumbled concrete would be easily missed. For Calamity to see it, we'd need to paint the message in big letters on the roof of the station. And even then, he would miss it if we didn't illuminate it somehow. I pointed these problems out to Velvet Remedy. In case you missed the light show earlier, dear, illumination will not be a problem. Velvet smiled wryly. I can cast a spell on the letters that will make them quite eye-catching. Can you just make glowing words? Velvet Remedy shook her head. Yes. But only if I stayed here to maintain them. To leave them behind, I would have to enchant existing writing. Paint, preferably. Unless we could find a really big ink pot. Steelhooves whinnied as he trotted past us to the station's double doors that led into Horseshoe Tower. Then we'll paint it in the blood of the first enemy we encounter. He turned and bucked the doors hard enough to not only swing them open, but send one flying across the waiting room inside. I cringed and thanked the goddesses that the room wasn't full of enemies. Are you coming? I helped Velvet Remedy step over the body of the griffin. His bulk nearly doubled by the twin minigun battle saddle that was still strapped to his corpse. It was the first body that we had found which wasn't centuries old. The floor was littered with bullet casings, making walking around it treacherous. I couldn't tell what had killed him. That worried me. It worried me even more when Velvet Remedy diagnosed it as natural causes, her voice loaded with disbelief. At least we know they came this way, Steelhooves observed. I was beginning to worry there was no way up. 
Much of Horseshoe Tower's interiors had collapsed. Stairwells had crumbled. Hallways caved in. The entire building had become a maze, forcing us to weave in and out of rooms in order to make it from one end of a hallway to the other, making us go down a floor to find stairs that would take us up too. Ahead, we could hear the spray of water, my pitbuck starting to click-click softly. The only way to get to the next set of stairs was through a collapsed section of wall between two bathrooms. The building's water talisman was still pumping water through the shattered pipes. The water was alive with low levels of radiation. The bale firebomb had probably irradiated the talisman itself. I checked with the Velvet Remedy, making sure we had enough Radaway with us. The radioactive shower would be minor, nothing worth getting concerned about. But if this was a sign of bigger problems ahead, I wanted to be sure we were prepared. Holding my breath, I pushed myself through the spray as quickly as I could. I stumbled a little as the wet floorboards on the other side gave an inch. Okie dokie loki, steel hooves, I'll be floating you through and setting you down over there, I said, pointing at the far corner of the room near the doorway out. This floor is not stable. Velvet Remedy stayed back. I focused on steel hooves, wrapping him in a telekinetic blanket. Slowly, I lifted the heavy steel range up half a yard and brought him through the shower. I took a single step back, feeling the floor wobble alarmingly once again and glided him past me towards a corner that I was fairly certain would be dry and stable. Steel Hooves made it halfway there when something he saw through the open doorway caused him to thrash, trying to find purchase on the floor. Before I could put him down, before I could even ask what he saw, the alicorn stepped into the doorway. My levitation magic imploded as I gasped in shock. Steel Hooves dropped hard, turning to fire at the alicorn, and the floor gave way beneath him. Steelhooves dropped out of sight. I heard splashes beneath. The alicorn took a step forward, looking down at the hole, and the rest of the floor collapsed. The alicorn tried to thrust out her wings to fly, but they struck the sides of the door frames and she fell into the floor below with him. I found myself standing on a wet, sagging plank, jutting out over the floor like a diving board, which was appropriate since the floor below was a swimming pool. My pitbuck started click-click-clicking with great enthusiasm. Scrambling on the floating debris, the alicorn thrashed. Her horn began to glow. Steelhooves was nowhere in sight, having surely sunk to the bottom. I wished for the bag of grenades. I had to act fast, but my mind wasn't thinking fast enough. The alicorn would have her shield up before I figured out what to do. <laughs> An explosion right next to my head blew out my eardrums. The world became a strained, high buzz. I immediately lost all sense of balance, tumbling from my position. I landed on a floating chunk of flooring that immediately began to capsize. I grasped the chunk of floor telekinetically, letting out a scream that I could feel but not hear. Focusing had become excruciating. In front of me, I saw the alicorn floating in debris and blood. Velvet Remedy had blown a large chunk of the creature's neck away with the combat shotgun. It wasn't dead, but it was a race between blood loss and drowning as to wish would finish her off first. I watched in horror as it began to heal, the wound slowly closing. They fucking regenerate? That was not fair. This was not okay. With a flash of anger, I started telekinetically grasping jagged, floating bits of floor and jabbing at the alicorn's neck until I had crudely sawed it off. The creature began to sink beneath the reddened, radioactive water. Velvet Remedy crouched over me, her horn pointing at my left ear. She had already restored hearing to my right. Steel Hooves stood next to us on the edge of the swimming pool, dripping with water that was making my pitbuck click-click wildly. He was arguing with Velvet over how much Radaway he needed to drink. Velvet was leaning towards every last packet we had. Steelhooves was insisting we didn't need any at all. My left ear began to mend. We don't have time for this! Steelhooves stomped, cracking the tiles under his armoured hoof. Those creatures always travel in groups. Then take the rat away and stop being a baby. My shotgun surgeon spat back, glowering. Seriously, do all of my patients have to be so difficult? I wanted to point out that I was laying there being very non-difficult, thank you. Steelhooves bristled at that. Finally, 
I spoke up. Steel hooves, just tell her. Both of them turned to stare at me. Or at least I assumed Steel Hooves was staring at me. His visor was pointed in my direction. Tell me what? Velvet asked me slowly, then turning to Steel Hooves. Tell me what? Steel Hooves was silent. I sighed. Look, if I was able to figure it out, so will she. She's smarter than I am. I could tell Velvet Remedy was forcing herself not to react to the compliment. Steelhoofs finally relented. I'm a ghoul. Velvet Remedy, to her credit, didn't take a step back. Didn't even gasp. She was just strangely quiet for a while. Long enough that I would have worried I had lost my hearing again if it wasn't for the drip, drip, drip on the tiles underneath the Steel Ranger. Radiation is regenerative for ghouls. Steelhoofs admitted. I was in more danger of drowning. In truth... There had been little danger of that with the rebreather in his magically powered armour. Of course, I realised, feeling slow and stupid. The alicorn was regenerating because she was in the pool. Radiation must affect them in the same way. Well then, I guess you won't need the rad away. Velvet Remedy concluded casually, slipping the packs back into one of her open medical boxes. Knowing I was by far the most capable of stealth, I determined that I should scout ahead. I spotted the Alicorn's two sisters in a room on the next floor. Their tails were obvious to me, oblivious to my presence as they seemed to be focusing on trying to magically rip the door of a safe off its hinges. Their coats were a deep purple, almost black, and that was not all I noticed. They have no cutie marks. I slipped out my sniper rifle and slid into the zen of sacks. The first alicorn went down hard, brain blasting out the front of her skull to paint the safe she had been so focused on. The second began to turn, her shield already starting to form. But I was faster, and these creatures were not that much tougher than the rest of us, if caught unawares and without their protective spells cast. I sucked out of sats as the second alicorn's body slumped to the floor. I looked at the safe, the splatter of blood, brains and bone reminding me we never did go back and paint that note for calamity. Wait, stop. I'm looking at the gore from some pony, or at least something that I'd just murdered, and I'm thinking that. Am I really becoming that callous to the horrors and violence of the equestrian wasteland? I wondered where this would fit on Monterey Jack's slide of loss of self. I also wondered what the hell the Alicons had been after, so I trotted up to pick the lock. The safe however, refused to be unlocked. After examination and struggling, I realised that it wasn't jammed or broken by the alicorns. I just wasn't good enough. Well, I knew how to fix that. I found myself smiling as the party-time mental washed me clean of all the stupidity and dullness that was holding me back. I took a deep breath of relief. Finally, I was the real me again. My smile faded as I turned to see Velvet Remedy watching me, sadly. Three more alicorns stood on the other side of a gaping divide. At least five internal floors had collapsed, leaving a honeycomb of half-rooms ringing a massive pit. Motes of debris and ash floated in the void between us. Steelhoofs opened fire with his grenade machine gun, taking out one of them, and all the rooms around her, before she could fully erect her shield, the two others launched themselves into the air, spreading their wings as their shields bubbled around them. I gave a prayer to Luna and floated out a memory orb, making sure it was one of Pinky's last party, and not the one I had retrieved from the safe seven floors below. I began levitating the orb slowly closer to one of the two. The alicorn let out a wicked, bitter and majestic laugh that echoed off the walls of the pit. Using telekinesis of her own, she knocked it free of my telekinetic sheath with a curled chair. The orb containing the memory of Pinky's last party plunged into the depths below, bounced, rolled, and disappeared through a crack, lost forever. The dark purple coated alicorn's voice rumbled with undeniable superiority. Do you think we are fools? We remember how you killed us before. Oh, we are so fucked. Run! I yelled, turning tail and racing towards the stairs. 
Velvet Remedy and Steel Hooves galloped after me, overtaking me as I charged up out of the stairwell and into a hallway. Turning, I ordered Steel Hooves to collapse the entrance behind us. His grenade machine gun was useless against a shielded alicorn, but more than a match for the crumbling structure we were in. Concrete and wood rained down in a thunderous cloud of dust. What happened? Steel Hooves demanded. Panting, I explained. There's some sort of telepathy involved. My fears had been proven true. Not just between the ones that are together, but all of them. Every time we kill one, they learn from it. I wouldn't be able to trick them the same way twice. Our ploy had brought us time, but not much. I could hear them on the other side, clearing a path to us. With a flash of light, one of the alicorns appeared right between us. They can teleport too, Velvet Remedy blurted, finally reaching the same level of hateful disbelief I felt towards these creatures. The alicorn herself seemed a little surprised. Apparently, teleporting into some place you can't see was tricky work, even for these creatures. I don't think she expected us to be this close. Too bad she hadn't appeared a yard to either side, stuck herself in a wall. But no, we couldn't be that lucky. Or could we? I realised something very peculiar. The alicorn sphere of shielding was at full strength, but she had appeared literally in the centre of us. Parts of us were inside the barrier, including Steelhoof's rear metal end. The alicorn began casting a spell. I felt a vice tighten around my heart. My hooves began to tingle. A heart attack spell? Feeling panic well up inside of me as my heart struggled to beat, I suddenly knew how these creatures had killed the griffins through natural causes. Move! I yelled as I telekinetically grasped the sack of grenades. Steelhoofs dashed forwards, leaving the grenades inside the sack, without opening it to reveal the contents. I focused and tried to pull as many of the pins as I could. Unfortunately, moving objects I couldn't directly see was as difficult for me as teleporting into an unknown space was for the alicorn. I only managed to pull the pins on three before I backed out of the shield. The alicorn looked questioningly down at the sack as it fell to her feet. Her shield contained the explosion quite effectively. It was a gory and a brilliant sight. Well, that would explain how griffins can get trapped on a roof, I said flatly. We had to fight through four more of the creatures before we made it to the roof. The combination of my stealth and Steelhoof's massive firepower kept us alive, but it was getting harder. They were all alert for us now, and seemed to be coordinating their defences. We had to run any time they got their spells up, and we were not fast enough to take out more than two before the others were able to cast their shields. On the roof were four more alicorns. They were all sitting, frozen, at the four corners of the building. Their attentions all focused inwards. Instead of surrounding themselves with a sphere of protective magic... They were cooperatively maintaining a hemisphere of magical force that was keeping the three griffin mercs caged. New one on me, Steelhoofs muttered from beside me. Oh, thank the great egg, one of them blurted out, seeing us through the glowing shell of force that trapped her and the two other surviving griffins. She stopped. Where are the rest of you? I looked around. Velvet Remedy and Steelhoofs were flanking me. The goddesses only knew where Calamity was. I suspected he was circling the Celestial Line, hoping to spot us. I winced at the thought and hoped he wasn't too worried. I could see the faintest suggestion of approaching dawn on the skyline. A chill wind blew at my mane, bringing the salty smell of the harbour. It was almost a shame that we'd reached the roof in the dark of night. The view in daytime must be amazing. Then again, the view could also paralyse me with vertigo, so probably better we were here now after all turning back to the three griffins. This is it. Just us. Well, this isn't much of a rescue. One of the griffins said bitterly. Gratitude! Look it up! I turned away and looked over the alicorns. They were statuesque in their concentration. I wasn't even sure they realised we were on the roof with them. And they were outside of the shield they were creating. We could take three of them down with a coordinated attack. Surely the griffins could take out the last one. What kind of firepower do you still have? I could hear Steelhoof's whistle as the griffin in the back stepped forward. She was wearing what looked like a magically powered armour of her own. A griffin design. Nowhere near as complicated or encompassing as Steelhoof's, 
leaving her talons, legs and wings bare, as well as most of her face. With a huge tri-barreled gun mounted to the biggest battle saddle I had ever seen. Dismounted AA cannon, Steelhoof said appreciatively. I had no idea what that meant, but this looked like the non-magical energy version of the plasma cannon that Calamity had used against the dragon. Well, we definitely had the firepower. Only five shots left, the griffin said glumly. Still, five shots from that thing should be more than... And there are four more wings of these horny bastards on the way, the first griffin announced. From her voice, I finally identified her as Blackwing. I noted mentally that I would not have chosen the word horny to describe the alicorns, unless Blackwing knew something I did not. Four wings? I asked. You mean two more? No. Steelhooves interjected. She means twelve. Oh, well, moonrocks. Made sense. A wing, then, must be a group of three. Explains why there were three of them hunting Steelhooves outside Fetlock. These four have just been keeping us pinned here while their reinforcements arrive. Blackwing informed us. Wait. I perked up. We're okay, then. I'm pretty sure we took them out on the way up. I mentally counted. One in the pool, two at the safe, three in the pit. One of those had lived and joined up with three more, so we'd killed... nine. There were still three left. Somehow we'd managed to go right past a whole wing of alicorns without either party realising it. And they would probably be bursting onto the roof any minute. We had to work fast. I quickly laid out the plan and everyone started taking their positions. As they did so, I couldn't help but voice my suspicions to Blackwing. What is it that you mercenaries were after in this place that these creatures want so badly? Codes to crack a safe in the Ministry of Image on Ministry Walk, Blackwing said, surprisingly forthcoming. Safe contains some artefact that our employer would really like to take possession of. Turns out, the goddess these monsters serve wants it too. What kind of artefact? I asked as I levitated out little Macintosh and checked the load. I was going to use a magic bullet for this just to be sure. The Black Book. Well, the Black Book of something or other. A tome of some of the foulest zebra magics. Stuff that can tear a pony's soul apart, they say, or raise spirits from the grave. Necromancy. The very thought that such spells and powers actually existed gave me nightmarish chills. To my knowledge, no pony had ever used such dark arts. It was horrifying to imagine that the zebras actually could. Necromancy wasn't even supposed to be real, just a horror story to scare young fillies at slumber parties. If this was the sort of foulness the Ministry of Image was casting their nets to catch, the purging of books took on a whole new and terrifying light. I began to wonder if the purpose behind the confiscation of ideologically incompatible books wasn't, at least in part, a smokescreen for this. Because, by the goddesses, you couldn't tell the public that the zebras had necromancy, much less the books on the stuff were slipping into Equestria. The notion of zebra necromancy breathed an uncomfortable new dimension into how being on the fringe of a megaspell event turned ponies into ghoul ponies and zombie ponies. While I was talking to Blackwing and pondering the implications of the Black Book, Steelhoofs and Velvet Remedy were discussing our foes. I caught the end of the conversation. They don't all have the same spells. Only the deep purple-coated ones, like the wings below, can teleport. Steelhooves explained to her. The midnight blue coats? Invisibility. Velvet Remedy interjected. Oh, yes, I remember. The dark green ones. I haven't seen them do anything the others can't do. Steelhooves walked up close to one of the statue-like alicorns and took a close look at its coat. A forest green so deep it was nearly black. Until now. Butcher. The griffin with the heavy gun stood at the ready in front of the furthest alicorn. Steelhooves were blocked onto the one on my left. Velvet Remedy had her, formerly my combat shotgun, hovering an inch from the temple of the one on the right. I floated a little Macintosh between the eyes of the one in front of me. On the count of three. One, two. In a thunderous crash of gunshot and explosions, three alicorns went down. So went the shield. The last alicorn immediately sprung to life, alert and... 
The Griffin supergun let out a boom that could be heard on the moon. The fourth Alicorn was simply no more. Blackwing swooped forward and took me in his talons, and the other lightly encumbered Griffin scooped up velvet, taking off into the air. I threw a telekinetic sheath around steel hooves, carrying him with us. The last Griffin took off, circling to cover our tail. We were a few blocks away when the last three Alicorns burst onto the roof. Part of me wanted to laugh tauntingly. Then they reminded us that they too could fly, and, unencumbered, they were much faster and more manoeuvrable. Wrapping themselves in magical shields, they swooped to close the distance. I closed my eyes, trying to force my PTM-enhanced brain to think of something. For the first time, party-time mentals were failing me. Well now, y'all look like you could use some help. Only once before had I ever been so happy to hear Calamity's voice, and that was when I was facing a dragon. I opened my eyes, staring to him thankfully. I hope you've got a plan, because I've got nothing. Y'all just follow me. Calamity smiled and shot out ahead of us, dropping altitude. Turns out, the one direction that heavily laden griffins could fly even faster than alicorns was down. They gave chase, but we were pulling ahead. Unless we're diving for a mattress factory, Blackwing squawked. This'll be a really short trip. I glanced back. This was a good distance between us and the three creatures. Now, only visible as glowing bubbles of sickly green energy that zipped through the sky towards us. Start pulling up now! Calamity called back. Does he have any idea? The griffin carrying Velvet Remedy grunted. How hard it is to pull up at this speed, carrying this much weight. I could see the street coming up as fast as we began to level. I smiled, thinking of just how much junk Calamity had a habit of scavenging. I had no doubt that the answer was yes. The three griffins finally pulled straight with only yards to spare, skimming over the tops of the taller wagons. I felt a hoof drag over the top of a passenger wagon. The alicorns were beginning to close the gap, lightning ripped from one of their horns, shooting past us. Up ahead, the street ended in a massive parking lot. Rows upon rows of delivery wagons were lined up before a long building. With the exceptional visual clarity provided by Parsidine Mintals, I was able to make out a logo on the roof of the building as we approached it. A filled-in Black Omega symbol, with a white earth pony seeming to levitate a package on her back. I suddenly realised the plan, and I blanked before Calamity started shooting. I turned on my eyes forward sparkle, making a quick scan for life down there. I only had a moment, but at least I had Partitan Mintals boosting my keenness and judgement. All I was seeing were red blips scurrying about below. Probably rad roaches. I could hear a series of pops as we shot past the delivery wagons and over the rooftop. The alicorns were just reaching the parking lot, moving too fast to stop, when the first of the delivery wagons exploded like megaspell bombs in extreme miniature. The first explosions instantly set off the rest, and three city blocks erupted in a vibrant cascade of insanely coloured light. The shields didn't protect them against that. The blast of radiation couldn't heal them from a force that ripped them apart beneath the cellular level. They could not even mentally scream. There was no time. The three alicorns were simply gone. The building shielded us just enough to save us before it was vaporised. My pit bucks screamed as we were hit by a wave of heat and radiation. My EFS flashed a red warning that I was suffering radiation poisoning before it collapsed altogether my pitbuck crashing. A moment later, we crashed too. Footnote. Level up. New perk. Mighty Telekinesis, level 3. Your telekinesis is Twilight Sparkle tier. You can handle multiple objects with ease, and with enough focus, you could probably carry around an Ursa Minor. Now, I've got respect for the talons. Smokey's helped me out a bunch before. But really, getting yourselves trapped on the roof of a building with wings. Come on, that's just embarrassing. And a pit-buck crashing? I've never seen that before. Anyway, here's the Wasteland Whalers with the Broken Wing Blues. This one goes out to you, Blackwing. Enjoy, people! I drunk to try 
powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.